This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. This podcast was recorded on traditional Denizal land. Hello, it's Trey. Welcome to Before the Peace. Today you're going to hear my interview with Stuart Cameron, a former chief of Soto First Nation and the Treaty 8 Tribal Association. We delve into some milestones and just the overall work that he put in as chief in the Northeast, as well as his work in the oil and gas sector. The main discussion I have with Stuart is about his current work as the owner of Makwa Consulting, which focuses on cultural safety. Now, I'm going to read a little bit of the information sheet about the consulting company that Stuart owns, just to kind of wrap your head around it before we get into the interview. The goal of his work is to understand the current state of Indigenous partnerships in industry. Once that is established, they weave a path to add value to any current and future relationships with Indigenous communities using cultural safety. Now, cultural safety is a concept arising out of the New Zealand Maori culture. Makwa has developed a method to move this concept into action. Known as cultural safety way of being, organizations can transform existing internal and external relationships. Transforming these interactions supports power-balanced, respectful relationships that ensure mutually beneficial partnerships. We also touch on Stuart's upbringing, the influence of his granny, and his thoughts on the state of the oil and gas industry in the region. Before we hear from Stuart, make sure you email me at beforethepeace at energeticcity.ca or beforethepeace at moosefm.ca for any comments you have or story ideas. Also, this podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of Troyer Ventures. Troyer has been serving our community and the energy industry with tank and vac trucks since 2000. They are built on the principles of hard work, service, and community, and they are proud to offer the financial support to make this program possible. Let's get into the interview with Stuart Cameron. First off, I want to know your work with cultural safety through Makwa Consulting and how important it is for industry and indigenous people. Before we even get to that, I'd like to just, uh, you know, let let folks say here this part of it that my name is Stuart Cameron and uh, my indigenous name is Kiwit Noh Kachakos, which means North Star. And I was given that name through a, a, a ceremony, a sacred ceremony of ours. What it means or signifies for us is as I was told, is that just like the North Star, when the, when the other stars start getting out of line, my granny used to say, the North Star uh, kind of realigns them. Mm, okay. You know, so she said, your role here, because my granny, years ago in the 60s, right? Uh, years ago, she, uh, she, she, our people also knew about the stars, eh? Like mm-hmm. my granny didn't speak a word of English or whatever, eh? She was uh, Anishinaabeg Cree. That means Soto Creek, right? mm-hmm. Ojibwe, whatever you want to call it. Eh? And and so she knew about the stars and uh, what they were and the different parts of those stars and what it represented. Eh? The Big Dipper, you know, and all, all this stuff, the, the bear, or, you know, we called it different, right? Yeah. yeah did yeah. each constellation have a different meaning? That's right. I yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. But I didn't learn all that because to learn all that, you have to pretty well grow up with it right from a baby mm, yeah kind of thing, yeah because yeah? it's a lot of knowledge right yeah and is yeah. is that just coming from the elders it, like that yeah, knowledge right? and, and what the yeah. store yeah. sto- stars goes, mean it, and carrying it, it, on yeah, spoken goes, word yeah it goes even beyond that because of our our ability in a um spiritual way mm. to be able to see things further than the human could see sort of thing or oh. a human body could see right you know so that kind of, you know, that name kind of set you up for your life's work? Yeah. Is that, so. that's where you're yeah, getting yeah, at? Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I yeah. can see that just with your description yeah. of yeah. the name. Mm-hmm. It seems like. So then, you know, how does it tie into that? Like, like I said, how does it tie into that cultural safety and that importance? I, I, um, I was working for Severus Pipelines. I worked for them for about 18 years. Okay. Yeah, I just uh, stepped down a little while ago. But in it, Sean Severus and I, uh, good feller, good nice young feller. Hey, <laughs> anyway, he uh, he he wanted he wanted me to work with him after I stepped 
away from politics that time as a, as a tribal chief and a chief, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and he asked me if I would come in and meet with him and talk to him about some stuff, and he wanted to improve his relationships, his style with uh, the indigenous folks in, in the area. Eh? Mm -hmm. So we began talking and kind of had a good discussion there, and uh, basically it kind of took off from there, I could say. Oh, okay. Without me knowing I was doing cultural safety, okay? Because I learned about cultural safety later on. In, in my life and that it, you know came out of the academia world and I'll explain that later on mm -hmm. but you know so we we, we, we we built a system because of the fact that it, it was a uh, a policy that's all Sean had at the time was a policy mm -hmm. and and we talked about it and I said you know it's it's nice to have this but all you're saying is you you love us <laughs> yeah <laughs> there's no there's no action behind it eh? mm -hmm. So I think I think we need to develop something, a system with with you, so that you can create an engagement booklet of types where you'll talk about pre pre bidding. How do you involve the local First Nations pre bidding? If you're if you're successful, how do you involve First Nations pre construction? How do you involve First Nations as far as employment training and all that stuff? Eh? So I said we should write all that down during construction. How do we maintain? That relationship with uh, some of the indigenous workers you're going to have in your in your projects, eh? mm -hmm. and post, you know, instead of being the normal pipeliner or or people coming through here in the oil and gas industry where it's just, hello, thanks for working for me, goodbye. Mm -hmm. You know, I said since you're here locally too, we should talk about post construction and how does that relationship continue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, so I said those are the things. So we 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 made a booklet to that to that effect. Eh? over the years, it took a few years, but we got there. And you know, and 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 later on in 2019, I met up with uh, a, a friend of mine. She's from here, uh, Judy Mays. She was the tribal chief also during that right after I was tribal chief. Eh? Okay, three day tribal associate. And we met up with her and her her friend. Uh, Adrian Luce, who's a, a nurse by by trade or whatever, but she also studied uh, cultural safety, and cultural safety came out of the Maori indigenous nurses. Oh, in New Zealand. Yes, that's, oh, okay. where, that's where it grew from, back in the seventies. Oh wow! Yeah, and 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 anyway, so they introduced it to to the world per se. Okay, and and Canada kind of embraced it, yeah. not Canada. I should say the indigenous folks embraced <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, anyway and then uh, we were talking, and they were talking about cultural safety and what it means, like to to understand each other's worldviews. And from that, when you understand each other's worldviews, you don't have you don't have to change each other's worldviews or change each other's ways, mm -hmm. whether it's uh, the language. Okay, good example. You know, residential schools. What happened there? You know the language, <clears throat> the culture, the the way of I don't know even the word for it, but the way of uh, the way I I I go to ceremony, mm -hmm. you know, in my sweat lodge and all that, and you know that's and I'm talking about the, the plains people, right? From Ojibwe, <laughs> we came from back east to here. Right? Yeah, that's another long story. <laughs> but anyway, you know, <clears throat> you know, it's it's about looking at each other's worldviews and looking at industries' worldviews from the indigenous side. So once you, once the parties do that, then then they they kind of create a power balanced relationship based on respect, mm -hmm. so that they make it so it's power balanced. So it's not a one over the other kind of struggle back and forth, eh? Like a like a long, painful, excruciating chess game. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, and uh, so you 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 create that so that there's a balance, there's a power 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 balanced relationship. And and in that you can create relationships that are equally just as uh, giving to the other party as to the other, mm -hmm. you know. So you can create a relationship where, if the industry needs are here and your needs as an indigenous, you know, nation or whoever, right? You can still create a relationship and look after each other and share the same river. Mm -hmm. Maybe you know you can. Picture it like a, a canoe going down a river and a steamboat, you know, so you can share the same river, different worldviews, 
but you don't have to come in and drive my canoe or you don't have to go in and drive your steamboat, eh? Mm -hmm. But we can share that river and its resources so it benefits both of us. That's what kind of like cultural safety is about. You know, it's about it's about creating a power balance relationship where you don't have to go meet with indigenous folks or industry for that matter from the other side and have an agenda per se that you want something, right? So how is it implemented? Like, do you, you do it through workshops and things yeah, like, cause yeah. it doesn't seem like this isn't something that can just be fixed in, you know, one session, one mm-hmm. workshop. So generally with you and Makwa consulting, which you own Makwa consulting, right? Mm-hmm. Or you just, right. Yeah. Right. yeah. So through Makwa consulting, you have these workshops. How long do they last? And when do you start seeing that difference within okay. industry? I can give you an example. Okay. Yeah, yeah. no, perfect. Yeah, yeah. We've, we worked, uh, we started working with, uh, and I might get their year wrong here, mm-hmm. but that's okay. We, we started working with a Peace River Regional District in this area. They were probably the first ones. Okay. And, and we, we, we worked with the board. That's the mayor and councils and the different directors of each, each area, eh? mm-hmm. electoral area, mm-hmm. they call them. The regional directors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah all, those, all those guys. Eh? Mm-hmm. And so what we did was we did a, uh, a cultural safety workshop right out of the gate, a four-hour one. What we did was we, we taught them the history and about who we were and who we are. And I'm speaking about as Indigenous peoples today. Right? So we taught them the history and the impacts that happened to our people over the last probably 600 years now. Mm. Yeah. So they have that understanding, yeah. and that's a good base to yeah. start that yeah. relationship and, and have that middle ground with well, yeah. both parties. You know, and I was, I was honest, and you know, I, I talked about my own struggles as an Indigenous person, my lived experience, eh? And 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 what I came through with my alcohol and being lost in drugs and all that stuff and and how my anger and anger at society or government or whatever it may be, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and because of what happened to our people on that, eh? And and you know, and when I started understanding the whole history and I realized, you know, what how many six hundred years of what I was packing. That generational trauma, so, right? So intergenerational trauma mm. comes up, right? And so we, we, we talk about that too, about who we are, you know? So, you know, and I talk about the past, who we were, you know, very sophisticated, intelligent, you know, in relationship with your environment, eh? People like where kids, babies were taught right from newborn all the way into their elder years, right? Kind mm. of thing. And the roles that they had to play, you know, so... So we we uh, you know you get you get you get a a perception of our people as if and it's sad eh but it's you know you get this perception that and we even developed that over the years because our memories were erased about who we were a lot of us right so you got that perception that you know we were running around the bushes and we were kind of starving and we were poor and we were hungry and we were we weren't clean and. We were very, very bright, sadly. You know, that was the perception, eh? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's so wrong, right? So that's why I teach cultural safety, to show people, no, this is the damage it caused, you know. Already way back then, say 400 years ago, the pressure was coming from the east and it was being felt where tribes were being pushed into each other, you know. So what happens when you do that? You know, of course, the other people are going to think, the other tribes are going to think, you're invading, Mm-hmm. So that's where those differences happened. Eh? You know, it, it, it wasn't a, by choice. Eh? So to speak. And I tell people if we were, if we were viewed as who we are by the average Canadian, okay, mm-hmm. of being maybe, uh, I, I quit high school. I, I maybe uh, you know a lot of us went to jail and. Mm-hmm. Drugs, alcohol, all that stuff. That's who we kind of get labeled that way Mm -hmm. without people fully understanding the impact that what had happened to us. eh? And, and, you know, so. And the impact of their words by, by blanketing all indigenous people under that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so, you you know, you grew up with that. eh? So you grew up with that. And, and even yourself as myself as an indigenous, you begin to believe that story that, Mm-hmm. And maybe to the point where a lot of us say, growing up, 
I don't know, why did why was I born in an Indian? You know? Sadly, that can happen because of people when they get oppressed, right? And then you have that identity crisis yeah, of like, yeah. why am I, yeah. Yeah, different. Why am I? So, so yeah. brutal. Yeah. Is, is that something you went through when you were younger? Yeah. Did you have an identity crisis? So yeah, yeah. how did you get through that? Embracing? My your... granny. Okay, okay. Yeah. My granny taught me a lot, eh? And, and she taught me about being a human being mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> That's what it all comes down you know? to. We're all human beings. Yeah. <laughs> and, and she said, you know, she told us, she told me about how good our people were. She said, if we were bad people, they wouldn't even step on our shores. They would, because there was a lot more of us, right? Mm-hmm. They would have been slaughtered before they even put a foot on the shores. Eh? But because of who we are. And, and they took advantage of, of the kindness. Right. We, yeah. we said, come into our home. Mm. You look hungry, you, you know, and da-da-da. Here's the food, here's this, here's that. And and we started teaching them about our land and how they could uh, benefit from it. And, it. and it was all based on, I'll say this honestly, a culturally safe approach mm-hmm. where it was power balanced. Eh? So you explain that to the district in that workshop. Mm-hmm. Four hours... Um, do you do additional workshops after yes, that? Yes, okay. Yes, yes, and continue. so, so how long does it last for, for the sessions of workshops? And my question too is how do you gauge the success of the workshops? Do you do follow-ups as well? Or how does that work? Keep in touch with them. Yes. Yes. We, we, we're, we're going into a, a phase now where we call it cultural safety 102. Okay. And what it is after teaching cultural safety and, and they uh, did a graphic illustration on the kind of a mandate of their organization on how to become cult- a culturally safe organization, meaning their, their better understanding of the treaty, where we, we say the treaty was, and, and it's true for us, it was not, not an extinguishment. It was a treaty of peace, sharing, and coexistence based on, you know, once again, cultural safety. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't surprised later on in, year, in years, like you know, 2019, when I heard it came out of the Maori Indigenous Nurses, cultural safety. Mm-hmm. Of course it did. Right? Yeah. yeah. But they, they gave it an academic word. Mm-hmm. Right? Hear about the Maori all the time and, yeah. and their advancements is, is mm-hmm. crazy, some of the thought processes they have. Yeah. So, okay. So, again, like with, say, within a year, yeah. it's time. You had the first four-hour session with the district. Yeah, When's the next? Well, how many do you have after that? After that, we had about, I'd say, off the top of my head, we probably had about... Three or four. And okay. we did it in different layers. We did it with the board. Mm-hmm. And then we did it with uh, also with a, a staff lunch and learn. You know, and it was really good because I think they have about 60 people on staff. And it was a volunteer thing. Yeah. The, 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 the CEO or manager or whatever. He, he had told his staff, it's up to you if you want to. This is what it is. Eh? And I, I think there was 40 out of 60. That oh, maybe. wow. So it was really well received. Yeah. And, 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 you know, and, uh, like, Peace River Regional District had a lot to learn, you know, because they were stuck on their perceptions, too, mm-hmm. you know, about different things. About and I think some lo- local governments or regional municipalities still are, right? Yeah. So it's good that there are yeah. these and our, services. And some of our public. Yeah, yeah, sadly. exactly. But if we can do this, and like what I say, if I can keep doing it, I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> yeah, there's no stopping but I'm doing it in a way where I'm teaching cultural safety and the history of our people and what really happened the intergenerational trauma and how we can deal with it and you know and do it in a way I do it and my friend Adrian Lewis who's a nurse right? mm-hmm. and she did her masters in cultural safety in the academia world so I bring the traditional side of things knowledge mm-hmm. right? And she brings in the academia world, eh? So it's just you two doing yeah, the consultations? Yeah, right wow, there, yeah. wow, a lot of work for two people. Yeah. So is the average about four sessions with each um, group, industry, Depends whoever? On how many layers they have. Okay, so you yeah. kind of discuss with them prior yeah. kind of how much they want to go into it or yeah, how yeah, many yeah, sessions yeah. they want to? Okay. Well, what, what do you, we'll usually do is we'll do a, a, P, a PIS sheet, a project, project information sheet. Mm-hmm. So it'll say... For this window, we'll do this, 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 and yeah, you know. And so, so, oh, sorry. So, you know, 
when, when Peace River Regional District, when they did that graphic illustration going back to it, they it it uh, it defined kind of like their mandate and mission statement mm. of the new PRRD from becoming towards becoming a a culturally safe organization. So they take all this information and then they make the adjustments they need yeah, to yeah. on the government side yeah, to have that within maybe, policies. And maybe their webpage is going to mm-hmm. say it'll relate to a cultural safety statement mm-hmm. about, about Treaty 8 or whatever it may mm-hmm. be, their understanding of it that, you know, it's non-extinguished, da, 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 you know, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Eh? Mm-hmm. Peace, sharing, coexistence. So yeah. after all the sessions are done, do you then... You know, link back up with whoever, say the district. Oh, yeah, you, yeah, you, you, you. Yeah, yeah. So, how does it work? So, you like phone them back up and see how they implemented everything that was learned. Yeah. Okay. No, they're they're not even point, a point all the way yet of implementing. We'll still have to guide them, and that's the one hundred two side of cultural mm-hmm. safety. We did a one hundred one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, introduction and real in depth historical stuff and and lived experience. I I shared my lived experience. Right? Mm-hmm. My mom being in residential school being sent to Gruard and my late uncle where he was about six years old died over there eh? you know and then my my mom had a rough time there too because she they couldn't speak their mm-hmm. language yeah. and that etc 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 and, and my mom, on top of all the other yeah. abuse and things that oh, they're yeah, probably yeah, yeah. dealing yeah. with yeah yeah you know and, and you know my mom went through a lot you know? like bad stuff to the point where she couldn't even talk about it right away. Like she would, she would cry when she was trying to tell me the story. Yeah, yeah some people still can't talk about it yeah, to yeah. this day. And yeah. I understand we had a guest on earlier on in the podcast. I think yeah. this must have been now like <laughs> two years ago. Yeah. Wow, it's been a while. Yeah. Um, and uh, he was our only anonymous guest. Yeah. And uh, it was because he was talking about his family's history with residential schools. And he was sharing that. And he, he obviously got the, you know... Yeah. Uh, approval to do so because you don't want to just put out yeah. someone's you know s- traumatic yeah. story like yeah. that yeah, yeah, yeah. um but we kept them anonymous just so you know yeah, yeah. for your safety That's and good. his safety of his family and those stories and um yeah i just i was speechless the whole time it's yeah. you know and i've from there and the relationships that i've built with other yeah. um indigenous communities and, and people in the communities yeah. um themselves I've, I've heard many stories and they all are on a similar path with residential schools yeah. like the same yeah. You know, abuse and bad things, negative things, but um, you know, they still do have their own perception yeah. of yeah. what happened, right? You know, like a lot of these things, as an indigenous person, we 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 don't want to talk about them mm-hmm. because I want to be normal, right? But I found out that we need to talk about them so people will understand, mm-hmm. and by understanding, we can create a better relationship with each other because I like even in the I always tell people you know I'm not I'm not free in a, as in freedom <laughs> whatever I'm not going I don't I didn't go to Ottawa though but anyway, I'm not free free in the sense until you're free also mm-hmm. meaning you understand my mm-hmm. worldview mm-hmm. and as a Canadian then you start to become free. When you start to become free in that sense, and we're both free, and then I'll be totally free. That seems like an uphill battle, though. How do we get to that point? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, I guess it's yeah. with services like this, with the consulting yeah, yeah. and yeah. having these constant conversations. Right. And like, you even see it here in Fort St. John, the cons and PRD, and, and you, you, you hear them bring up okay, well, how are we communicating with Indigenous communities? If it's just, it yeah, doesn't yeah. matter the topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How are we communicating with Indigenous communities? You hear that brought up. And I think that we're moving on a good path just by hearing that and just by, you know, personally, in my perception, hearing, you know, less and less of, you. like I was saying, those stereotypes yeah. you were talking about, hearing less and less of the people saying those stereotypes in a negative way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because people are standing up and they're talking about the past. They're yeah. talking about what they're going through now. And they're talking about, hey, we got to embrace everyone yeah. on this land in Canada yeah. now. So um, how did you get uh, in? Oh, sorry. Continue. I, I really, really think that it's not as hard as you think. Mm, okay. Yeah. Because it's, uh, I guess it's because I believe in it. Mm. I believe in in people. I believe in people 
willingness to learn and to change. We all have that as humans. We all want something that's good for our children, whether you're Indigenous or Canadian, right? We all want something that's good for our children. We all want security. We all want good shelter. We all want good education. Mm -hmm. And I think the more people start to understand that about each other, you know, and figure out a way on how to work together to make that happen, even at at, at this level here in the Peace River area, Mm -hmm. in Treaty 8, you know, I, I think, I really believe that, you know, and I told PRD this, we can be the leaders mm-hmm. where other people are going to look at us. Well, to your point, I, I definitely see that in this yeah. region. I, I do. I yeah. truly think, and so I'm assuming you agree with me, like you are seeing that in the Northeast. Like you do it, think it, we are progressing it's well. Starting. Okay, it's okay. Starting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's starting. Um, and I think the, the maybe the, the ugliest parts of it is it seems that maybe there's more... Uh, the loud people are louder, even though there's few. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, 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 uh, Especially they, on Facebook. So, yeah, sometimes <laughs> the good people stay home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or stay quiet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. So, you know, I, I, like we're working also now with uh, Northern Lights College. Oh, nice. Right? So They're doing a lot too, which is bringing, awesome to see. We're bringing cultural safety mm-hmm. into that organization, right? Which is so awesome because they have so many international students. So then these yes, students yes. are then gaining yeah. this knowledge yeah. that can then potentially, you know, it helps the region, but could it be brought, it could be brought to other places right. in the world, right. which that's is, right. is crazy. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's so, awesome. So everybody's kind of uh, on board here. We've got the education side. We've got mm-hmm. the industry side. We've got uh, the government side, per se, you know, in our area, eh? mm-hmm. local government. Mm-hmm. And then we've also begun working with uh, the Soto First Nations on a cultural safety approach. Awesome. You know, so so we're, we're, we're doing it so that we're, we're spreading it out so that eventually, what I'd like to see one day, and I told my uh, business partner this, Adrian, I said, when we get to a certain point of doing cultural safety with all these different groups, I would like to invite them all to to one place to kind of share the experience. That's a great idea. You know, I, I would love to listen to that of, too. Of cultural safety. Yeah, and, and see what the teachings turned into, like the perception of it from yeah. each person. That is super interesting. You know, yeah, I, Like I was talking to Peace River Regional District and, and the band, the mm-hmm. First Nations band. Yeah. I said... You know, just think, cultural safety, we, we start to understand each other, we respect each other, and we, we say, what's best for my neighbor, what's best for us? But in the middle, we, we share in a power-balanced relationship. I said, just imagine, in a Peace River area, I told him, for example, a little thing like we start our own uh, gardening, market gardening, you know, healthy foods, and, and we create in the towns of Fort St. John or Chetwin or Dawson Creek, little market areas where people can bring their goods and and and, and then we go in and buy these goods from each other right? mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and, and i said you know just imagine what that can create and then and then you know eventually peace river invites the world right? mm-hmm. you know like so i've got big dreams yeah but, yeah it sounds great it sounds great i'm just sitting here like and, yeah let's do it <laughs> yeah. and i think it can not i think it can it will happen mm-hmm. i really believe it well, like I said, the, the way we're moving and, yeah. and you know, Northern BC, we're so remote. I know I don't need to say this to everyone yeah. who lives up there, but we're so remote. We're so separated from Southern BC and the rest of Canada. Yeah. And, you know, there's a lot of other rural places like that in That's other right. provinces as well yeah. where we feel like we're on our own. And I don't think, you know, me being... um associated with other people in media who've been to smaller communities. I think the progression that's being made in Northeast BC is ahead of a lot of the other rural areas here in Canada, in my opinion. And just from what I've heard, how did you get into that part of the industry? It seemed like a natural progression, which I think you kind of alluded to already is, you know, uh, growing up in Soto first nation, you had your, your, your granny and your family there with you kind of showing you the culture and, showing you how to embrace the culture. You ended up as an electrician. I'm just kind of fast tracking what you've done. You were a chief of Soto. You were a tribal chief of Treaty 8. um, And then you went back into the industry and now you're doing consulting. It just seems like 
this was a natural progression for you. You gained yeah. the knowledge in industry. You gained the knowledge in politics. And yeah. now you're taking your advocacy and your passion for your people and indigenous yeah. culture in general. And now you're sharing it with everyone else so we can be on the same page. Yeah. Is, is that fair to say? Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Definitely. Definitely. You know, I, I, everything I've done leading up to today <laughs> has, has set the table mm-hmm. for towards cultural safety. You know. Right from my younger years with my granny and her teachings, eh? mm-hmm. you know, all those things. Like I told people, I said, we have Treaty 8 here in this area, Treaty Number 8, right? Which was, you know, signed in 1899, June yep. 21st in Lesser Slave Lake area. Oh, wow. I didn't know June 21st. Where did you yeah. say Lesser Slave Lake? But yeah, yeah okay. in those areas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Gerard, all over. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. Uh, so we didn't do adhesions here till the later years because of the Klondike Gold Rush. Mm-hmm. It, it 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 made an alarming thing because there, you know, there was an impact already from that industry coming through the territory. So the the Daneza and the Sekene people at that time didn't didn't like what was happening. Eh? And the the Crees were here already too. I think that time, you know, later later years eh? after the you know nineteen hundreds, eh? the mm-hmm. early early nineteen hundreds. Mm-hmm. Talking about anyway and. Uh, so they they uh, they prevented the Klondikers from going through into the gold rush, eh? the gold rush era, because there was you know damage already being done when they were coming through, disrespect for the land, the animals, that right. So then they treated with us, and you know each each uh, band like right up to profit for it. Now so we all have different years where we had. We did adhesion with uh, Treaty Number Eight mm-hmm. after 1899. Eh? Okay. Some of us were 1910, 1914, and etc., etc. Eh? You know, yeah. Like and Kelly Lake was she also mentioned historically in our research that they should have been treated too, because there's records of saying we'll treat with Kelly Lake after, we'll treat with McLeod Lake after, we'll treat with Ingenica uh, after. Kind of, you know, all those mm-hmm. things. Eh? And now. Kind of, there's just progression going on in Kelly Lake right now mm-hmm. of like actually building the community and no, I, I don't know anything about yeah. relations with the treaty, but I know yeah. they're actually kind of building it up now and they're doing work with local government as well, which yeah, is awesome. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, talking about your granny, we've yeah. already mentioned her now a couple of times. I'm I'm going into you growing up. So first of all, you grew up on Soto First Nation in Soto First Nation. In the area. In the area? We, we, okay. we grew up right beside the reserve. My my mom and dad were um, commercial guide outfitters. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so how was your upbringing? Like, was, did, like from where you're at right now, did a lot of this passion you get for indigenous culture and your people, does that come from your upbringing with your, yeah, your parents yeah, and yeah. specifically your yeah, granny? Yeah. I'm just so curious, you know, what were some notable things that you can think of that led you down this path specifically with your upbringing? My, 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 my granny okay. was very, really strong. You know, like, for example, we'd come home from school and we'd run into her, the home. Granny was living with us, of course. And we'd say, oh, blah, 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 to our mom, eh? Mm-hmm. Oh, we learned this today. Blah, blah. And she would go, shh, you know, be quiet, kind of. Hey. And she'd tell us in our language, because she didn't speak English, mm-hmm. she'd say, that language is not spoken in this house. Our language is spoken in here. You can learn that language and use it out there, but in here you, you speak our language. And we convert to our indigenous language. That's her, awesome. Right? Yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, so she 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 made sure that we didn't lose that. Eh? And, well, I think, and I think it was because of her experience also with the residential school, losing her little baby six-year-old boy, eh? you know? So, so she she was on a crusade. Eh? Yeah, you know. No, and it, and it makes so much sense. And like I've heard that so many times, where yeah. it was nice to be home in a safe place where you can use your language, yeah. because that's how it stayed alive. Uh-huh. Like if if after during the residential schools, if everyone there then went home and continued not using their language. Yeah then we would be at a worse point right now. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you say? Like, we, right well, now, well, well, we're still struggling yeah, to, yeah. you know, bring back the language. A lot of people that went to residential school forcefully lost their language. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay? So so we did start losing our language. And, and you know, like, uh, for example, I tell people, you know, the impact of the, the, the WAC Bennett Dam mm-hmm. and what it did there, 
it, it drove a lot of our people off the land, eh? And I tell people that the land was like a, a university college for us, where, where we did our cultural activities, plus the language was spoken mm. on that land, eh? So I tell people it's like you, losing a university or an education center. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I said, I noticed then, like in 67, when the dam was kind of finished, eh? I was, you know, I was uh, 12, 13 years old, eh? I, I noticed then the language started to even deteriorate already by then, eh? After oh, wow. in the 70s, eh? Mm-hmm. You know? And I said, now, and I talked about this because of the Sightsee Dam. I said, now that this dam is coming in and that big base, land base is being, you know, eliminated, mm-hmm. I said, that's another, you know, part of our college and university that's being eliminated. And I said, I, it seems to me that because of my, by watching these things okay? mm. and watching how how we we reacted and what, what during what times we started to talk less and less of our language, mm. I noticed that more and more and more. Eh? So what kept it even slightly breathing was the grannies out there yeah. forcing the family to use the language, and you'd you, say, like yeah, other yeah, family members? Of, yeah, And some, yeah. okay, and you can hear these stories, some... Some grannies didn't want to teach it to protect the children because mm. they didn't want them to experience the same yeah. thing their own children experience, right? They didn't want Double-edged them to, sword. Yeah, yeah. to go through that pain. Eh? <sighs> so, yes, so the language is lost. Eh? Mm. Per se, you know, mm. it's not totally lost, okay? Mm. Not totally. But a lot of our, sadly, our young people are now having to relearn. Eh? Mm. Just like... As Indigenous people, I tell people through cultural safety, we have to relearn our past, bring it into the future so we can evolve in a good way. Mm-hmm. You know? I said, it's not about going, you know, the old attitude. Oh, what, you want to go back to your teepees? You don't want electric lights? You don't want to drive a car? You know, like all that nonsense. Mm-hmm. No, it's as a human race, we have certain principles and laws, sacred laws, that we can take into the future. I tell people, I said, for example... When I, when I teach cultural safety, I think about my great, 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 great granddaughter in the future holding a feather and she's a captain of a starship, but maintaining her language and her traditions. So nothing wrong with evolving. Yeah. No, I was just imagining the. Uh, it's like a sci-fi movie. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, That's and, so and, cool. You know, and because of who we are as yeah. Indigenous people and what I was taught, when I say that, it's it's happening. That's, I believe in it. Yeah, it's so awesome. Um, where do you think we're at in the region right now? With um, and I know there's many different languages, but yeah. with the different communities and the work that's being put into reviving yeah, the languages. Yeah. Do you think we're at a good place? I think there's a lot of work going on in the communities. Yes, My yes, example yes. is, yeah. uh, you know, Doig Rivers is doing a lot there and yes. putting in the research. Um, so, yeah, where do, where do you think yeah, we're at yeah. right now? Yeah, yeah, a lot of the bands in the area of Treaty 8 are doing that. Which right? is awesome, yeah. You know, and, uh, and, you know, you know, doing the history, all that, all that stuff, eh? you know, their history and their languages. You know, teaching our little ones, say, for example, at Soto, eh? and all the bands do this, they're teaching them at, in preschool about the language, about the, the drumming, the songs, and all, all that stuff, right? You know, and, you know, these things that were outlawed, where if, you, if my granny did her ceremonies in public, or, you know, where an RCMP was walking by, mm-hmm. she'd get arrested and thrown in jail. Unbelievable. So she had to go hide. And, to do. And, and, and the bush, <laughs> to practice our ways, right? You know, like they couldn't even get off reserve, right? You've heard of that too. Mm-hmm. Probably. They couldn't even leave the reserve without a, a little ticket from the Indian agent, stuff like that. Actually. Yeah, so yeah. A lot of uh, oppression. <laughs> you know? So you were an electrician by trade before yeah. you got into politics. Yeah. So what made you make the jump, and how long were you an electrician before before you made the jump? Oof. Making you go back now. <laughs> Thinking of no, all those time about, frames. Uh, 10, 11 years, I was an electrician. Okay. Yeah. And, 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 and you know, I got my uh, journeyman's, and I think they call it the Red Seal today or something mm. like that. I, I, I still think of it as Red Seal, too. Yeah, yeah. So, y- you, so after you graduated, let's say, 
Um, where did you go to school? Chetwin. Chetwin. So you, you went to school in Chetwin. Yeah. You graduate. Did you go right into the trade? Nope. I didn't uh-huh. graduate. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So when did you start working as and, an electrician? In the, in the trade, I started working around 78. Okay. And so were you around 18? Like, you young? 78. That was I don't know. <laughs> How old was I? 55. 55. Okay. Yeah, I okay. was in 55. I was born, so that would make me, what, what is that, 55, 65, 75, 32, 33? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that was when you got into electric? Or yeah, is there, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so um, when you finally, after 11 years, like made the jump, so did you go straight from working as an electrician to into politics? Yeah. yeah like yeah. went yeah. ahead for it. Yeah. So I guess before being an electrician, what were you doing? Just oil and gas? Just working? Yeah, I worked in, uh, in, in in commercial, industrial, and house residential mm-hmm. stuff, eh? Oh, okay. Yeah, and I went and worked in the Yukon. And I oh, nice. Did some traveling. Vancouver, and yeah. Edmonton, and Grand Prairie, and yeah. So why did you decide to make the jump in? Well, I'm saying elders. jump a lot. Elders. Oh, elders, elders. Yeah, yeah I was yeah. I was thinking that they, they came they, and asked you. Yes, yeah, yeah, okay. And, and I and I told them that time. In, in 87, 88, I told him, I said, I don't know nothing about being a chief. And one of my uncles, who is the the son of uh, my granny, right, my mom's brother, mm-hmm. he said, he said, no, he said, you, you do know things because my mom always talked to you about stuff, you know, told you about our people, about our leaders and who they were and what they represented, what they stood for. And you guys go through terms of four years, right? A chief, or is it three? Three, three now. Oh, it it's three. It used to be four because yeah. I'm, I'm thinking you were chief for eight years, so two terms. Yeah. So you got put back in. Yeah. Obviously, the work that you were doing to get in for two terms was working for the First Nations. So what were you doing during that time? Like, what are some milestones for you for the work that put into the oh First Nation? <laughs> yeah. I think when, when 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 I came around, the uh, industry, government were, weren't really looking at us at all. We were there, but not. They didn't need to talk to us okay. at that point. Eh? So we started uh, coordinating as chiefs at that time. Eh? We started saying, you know, we really need to have a, a table too. You know, yeah, we're being over over. You know, they're riding over us here. Mm-hmm. Right? So so we started. Uh, pressuring the government industry and uh we did strategies on how to do that you know and uh and you know and to start bringing attention to that no consultation i mean there's no accommodation no nothing eh? and the treaty says we can do all this but yet they were still running just kind of like if you want to call it like the klondike gold rush <laughs> you know except it was oil and gas eh? yeah, yeah, time, eh? yeah 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 so, so we started putting pressure, and we started putting pressure in different ways with mm-hmm. the industry. Uh, I said, why, why should we? They need us to come and talk to us about what's what their plans are, what they're going to do, and how they're going to impact our areas. You know, maybe you know some sacred areas, whatever, maybe. Right? Why should we be using our own dollars to accommodate them? Mm-hmm. So something's wrong with that picture. I said, what we should do as a group is start charging industry to sit down with us. Every time they sit down with us, let's have a fee. So we started doing that, and it started putting pressure for industry then to go to Victoria and say, hey, (laughs) yeah, it's not fair. No, no, but, you know. (laughs) So did that result in then, you know, revenue started to be generated into the First Nation? Okay, sweet. I'm I'm doing this fast speed. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know we could probably talk for multiple hours on this. So eventually they started talking about the Oil and Gas Commission Mm. being formed to address the the capacity for the bands and to create a, a system of permitting where between the indigenous folks and the industry folks to they they they're kind of the middleman eh? mm-hmm. yeah and and based on regulations and da 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 mm-hmm. eh? yeah so you know so so that that happened but we still had a trouble with the oil and gas commission being foreign back then because we didn't have our say in it and we felt we should at least have some sort of say in it on how it's going to be conducted or formed and all that stuff eh? you know but anyway that's that's how it, it, it became it, but it was a 
you know, a slow, a slow step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And then was that also building um, relationships with other communities in the Northeast too? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. 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 And, and sitting down with, you know, local yeah. governments and things yep. like that That's to progress right. it right. yeah. and have those partnerships, yep. right? Meeting with the line ministries and, mm-hmm. and, and Victoria and all that, eh? you know, energy and minds act. And I think they were called. So at the end of your tenure as chief of Soto, um, what year was that? I'm asking you all the hard questions. Excuse me, 96, 97? So 96, 97. And then when did you move over to being the tribal chief of Treaty 8? During those years. Oh, during those years. Okay, so you were a Soto chief and a tribal chief. Oh, okay. So what's the difference? Because I I know, obviously, as chief of Soto, you're chief of that First Nation. And with Treaty 8 Tribal Association, if you're the chief there... You're looking over, you know, the yeah, best well, interest you're, you're, of all the, the you're, communities, you're, you're right? You're a spokesperson for the, for okay. the whole Treaty 8 group of, mm-hmm. of First Nations, eh? Yeah. And, and, you know, we sit at the table and we say, okay, there's uh, Charlottetown Accord. They're trying to push it, you know. And we talked about it and we didn't like it, so I had to go speak on the issue why we didn't like it. Mm. You know, Charlottetown Accord. It was it was a, a form of self-government for Indigenous folks. And oh, okay. We were opposed to it. Because it, it, it actually watered down our relationship, we felt, in regards to the treaty and that. Mm, it and put it, more restrictions on you? Or, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah. So, essentially, you're a spokesperson, like you just said, for the entire yeah. Treaty 8 yeah. nations. So, if, if, say, for halfway at that time, I worked with them a lot, too, the late Chief uh, Bernie Medicia, and he had some issues with forestry and we started uh, addressing them and he took them to court and he won and you know all, all this stuff so consultation started to pick up mm-hmm. and accommodation all that stuff mm-hmm. so so then we were we had to sadly we had to fight for that you know where if I would have been in cultural safety back then no it's <laughs> <laughs> ah, if I would have thought of this stuff yeah, back yeah, then yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and I guess where did some of the duties change? Like, what were the differences in duties as a chief of, of Soto, as a sole chief, compared to the tribal chief? Well, the because chief, I feel like it would be a little bit more extensive as a tribal chief because yeah. you have to look at all the nations and right how they're the doing. National issues. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was really just a lot more extensive in a sense of you 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 know yeah. you had to keep up and keep tabs on a bunch yeah, of different and, things and going on and play a supporting role for the other bands too when when it was needed. Eh? Mm. Where. The, the, the chiefs would get together and support one band on mm. their issue and they would ask me to go stand beside that person or talk to whatever, eh? Mm. Government, talk to industry, talk to, along with that chief, whoever it was, eh? Stuff like that. So they knew we were supporting each other in all these different fronts that we were creating, eh? To, to get the treaty more recognized, mm. call it that, eh? Did the association ever get involved with um, some of the lawsuits that other communities had? I, I haven't seen yeah, it, so I'm yeah, just yeah, I'm just curious it. if they yeah, have. They yeah, have, okay. Was, yeah. Like we got involved with the Medicia case, eh? Mm. Where forestry, where they proved that forestry didn't consult with them properly, and yeah, they got kind of. So my next question, you kind of brought it up and we've been talking about it on the, the treaty. Um, you know, I would love, I was just thinking about it while we were talking because yeah. you have extensive knowledge with the treaty. You've studied it. Yeah. Um, and eventually, and we could talk after the podcast, I want to do an episode with you uh-huh. just on the treaty. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. But I do want to bring it up right here. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's just so much to go into about oh, it that gosh. I definitely will have to do a separate yeah. episode. But I want to, you to kind of explain, I mean, it might be a little long to explain your interpretation, but overall, um, what got you into studying the treaty? Because there's a lot of First Nations and leadership positions that obviously have an understanding, but to the extent that maybe you do, what what forced you or what drove you to, to study it? Was the granny. Yeah. 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 The granny again. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. I, I told her one time about the, the treaty and, you know, I was this young, young kid, eh? maybe 15, 16. And I told her that, you know, it's in the treaty, it says that we, we gave up the land, the resources, everything, uh, but we maintained our hunting, trapping, fishing, all the those stuff for maybe even $5 a month, it says, hey, I told her in our language, eh? 
said, said, no, we never gave up. We wouldn't never give up the land because we don't own it in the same way that they do. He said, we own it in the sense where we have an obligation to wherever Creator put us, to that land, to that wildlife, to that water, to the air. And that's our obligation on how we own it. Mm-hmm. We, we sh- because we share it with the, you know, the environment. Eh? But we have a duty to protect it. Mm-hmm. So Creator owns the land. But He gives us that obligation of ownership. To take care of it. To take care of it. Mm. So in that sense, yes, we do own it, but not in the European sense where they can just take it, sell it, and all that stuff. Because man, European, feel that they're like a superior structure Mm -hmm. where us, we're we're with the environment, with our surroundings, right? Where where the European mindset is that they manage the animals. Mm. Where we they're we, above everything, like yeah, you're saying. Where yeah. we where we blend with the animals, mm-hmm. should we say, so that we can make sure that they're not, you know, killed off. Or we make sure that certain areas we can burn for them, right? You know, all these things, right? Mm-hmm. You know, or berries, all that stuff, right? So she my granny said there's no no way we would have extinguished that right to that land, to that title, to that because she said we we didn't we don't own that land, and that's it. Creator owns it. He said, and there's no, no way in a sacred way that we would ever sell the creator's property because also, said, because of that law, our obligation, said it's our children that are yet unborn that own this land also in that sense in our law. Eh? Mm-hmm. So we have an obligation to our children not to sell that, eh? you know? So, you know, th- those are the sacred side of our treaty that, that that we know and so therefore I always tell people no it's a non-extinguishment treaty eh? even we had t- TLEs mm-hmm. just recently yeah I'm, I'm treaty of, land entitlements I'm, yeah I'm one of those foolish people that opposed it no <laughs> yeah and, and, and based on the fact that I said and I said this when I was a chief at the treaty eight table when we were dealing with land canes 30 years ago mm-hmm I had a meeting with the government, the provincial and the federal government over the land claim stuff that's being settled today, right? I said, I I have a problem with this extinguishment clause. You want us to sign off and say, you're going to give us this much dollars, this much land, of our own land, actually, but anyway, regardless, that's what you're saying. And then, But you want me to sign off here where I'll never be able to expand my boundaries. They went, that's right. So he said, tell me. I said, I said, so tell me. We're sitting here in Fort St. John. This was the Treaty 8 building. Mm-hmm. We're sitting here in Fort St. John. If we had an influx of 20,000 people tomorrow to Fort St. John and the land base couldn't accommodate it, what would you do? And they said, we'd expand it. <laughs> I said, that's right. So that's why I'm confused at this table. I said, so there's one law. For Canadians, and one law of extinguishment—not extinguishment for Canadians, extinguishment for Indigenous folks. Hmm. I said so. When we multiply in the future, which we will, yeah, we're, we're stuck, that's, that's stuck it. in those borders. Yeah, yeah. stuck right there. Right? So, so with the TLE right now, I actually don't know this. Is there room for expansion? Like not, within not after what was settled. With oh, lands, okay, eh? no. And, and strategically, bands pick they land pick their lands. Land. Okay, so that they you, you okay had to do it that way yeah. in a sense because otherwise you would be stuck on an island. Yeah, so no community would have just picked a land that would just kind of keep them isolated, yeah. like you're talking yeah. about. Okay, that makes yeah. more sense. Okay, yeah. so so you know so so in the, in the, in that sense, like that's why I was <laughs> I wasn't for the TLEs, eh? Mm-hmm. But I didn't argue with anybody about it. You know, I wouldn't rant and rave about it. I just talked about it. And, and your opinion on it and yeah. your perception of it. Yeah. Do you think every Indigenous person should have some understanding of the treaty? Yeah, of yeah. course. Of mm. course. TLE proves it. So for those who don't understand the importance, and if they came up to you, what would you say to them on how important it is to have that understanding? How important it is is... Uh, for the TLE, I talked about it. Yeah. Okay. I said, how can the government come here and ask us 
to make a decision on a treaty that whereas a lot vast majority of our people their memory got erased about that treaty the sacred treaty and what its true meaning is mm. I said that'd be like uh, you Trey going mm-hmm. to my grandson and saying I want to buy your dad's truck or, or your grandpa's truck mm-hmm. Here, I do you have a Ford Raptor I want it <laughs> and, and you say you know here's uh, here's some bubble gum and here's some blah 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 and and you know because he doesn't have a memory or of the value of that truck mm. that's what I say the same thing to me it's uh, you know you, 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 you forced me into residential schools you forced me out of my language you forced me out of my sacred ways you forced me out of my sweat lodge you forced me out of my whatever right don't 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 do that anymore and you're in those 600 years you began to erase my memory and yet here you are today asking me to make you a deal on the value of the mm. treaty when i don't fully understand it because you're the one who's responsible for erasing my memory of it so i think that's kind of sharp dealings mm-hmm. you know, just as sharp as dealings as they did when they negotiated the treaty yeah the the only word that comes to my head is dirty, <laughs> like yeah, like yeah, just yeah. this, this yeah. sneaky like yeah. they I, it's almost few, like they knew few, what they're doing. I, I got a few other words, but yeah, yeah, we, not, we, we won't use for this. the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I want to delve into a little bit more about um, your experience in the energy sector. Uh, got a couple more questions here before we wrap yeah. up, yeah. but this one. So from your perspective. How are indigenous people and the energy sector tied together? And the reason why I'm bringing that up is it seems to have been going on for a long time. Is it because of land use and the impacts energy has potentially on cultural traditions? I don't know when it started or if that's the main reason, but the relationship always seems to be brought up. When you bring up energy, indigenous communities and the land is always land use. use. Yes, 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 yes. It's always about that. You're impacting on my land use, Mm -hmm. right? Therefore... You know, at least what other economy can I do? You know, yeah. so maybe I'll, I'll maybe uh, you know, without damaging certain areas. Certain areas are just off limits, right? They are, they are. You know, but uh, so you know that forces the issue. But still, it's not a good relationship. When people have to be forced into a relationship, mm. it's not cool. <laughs> you know. Whether you're industry or indigenous, right? Yeah. You know, because you're kind of forcing each other into a relationship. Right? Well, originally, initially, they were forced into that relationship. Yeah. And now where we're at now, do you think there's still that, uh, I a guess, bit. contentment? Yeah, a bit. A okay. Bit. Yes, yes, yes. Because it's, 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 not, it's not rosy yet. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's still, is it, what's the word? Stigma? There's still a stigma around it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because I was also going to bring up, and this might be a part of it too, uh, the results of the cumulative impacts case from Blueberry and the TLE signings as well. Um, Has that had a real impact on the energy sector? Because I've been hearing rumblings um, from, you know, people in the industry, people in First Nations communities that, you know, there is definitely some things being said from the energy side um, with this agreement that happened. But you know, I can never really, you know, get someone to tell me yeah, their view. Well, so yeah, is yeah, it... Yeah, yeah. Because industry, a lot of industry felt like when that decision came forward, they felt like, oh my God, they're going to be able to just shut us down. Mm. You know, then then what are we going to do? Well, maybe it's maybe like we'll fear. have to just move out of BC and go somewhere else. Mm, you know, like, yeah. there, there's always those... I've heard, I've heard that a couple yeah, times. There's always, <laughs> there's, there's always those threats, but it's... To me, I call those desperate words. Mm. <laughs> I, uh, because of the fact that if they looked at it with open eyes, the indigenous folks and the industry folks and the government, okay, if they looked at it with open eyes and said, what does this really mean to all of us, this decision? And I told this to Peace River Regional District. I said, you know, Using cultural safety, <laughs> you know, we could utilize decision in a positive way because of the cumulative impact on the land base. Mm. I said, there's nothing stopping us in the future to creating a joint cumulative impact assessment of all of our 
I'll say yours and mine, mm -hmm. Peace River area. What are the thresholds that or it can hold oil and gas? What are the thresholds it can do for forestry? What are the thresholds it can do for mining? What are the thresholds it can do for uh, cattle? What are the thresholds, et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I said, if, if we start looking at it that way and, and saying that we can share it, you know, without fighting with each other, you know, and, and, and be genuine about it. How can we create an economy that's going to last longer? How can we create out of this uh, cumulative impact assessment model that we can use as a crystal ball, if you want to call it that, of our Peace River area to maintain its, its, its value in the long run on the economics, on the environment, all this stuff, you know, that people are concerned about. Mm -hmm. I said, it's not just Indigenous folks that are concerned about the environment. And want to stop everybody? Yeah, you know, we're, 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 that's not what we're saying. We're saying, and these areas slow down until we have a solution, mm -hmm. right? You know, so this I said this cumulative impact decision can actually we could look at it in a good way versus an ugly way because they see it as them being limited, like, yeah. and then they have to jump through another hoop. Well, I would well, assume when you're used to just taking and taking yeah. and taking. Mm -hmm. You're going to say I'm limited. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, the First Nations are saying, hey, we want to be a part of the table. Yeah, yeah. Like, bring us in. So in terms of the energy sector and that relationship with communities, what do you think the future looks like for the region? Do you think we're going to move in a positive direction? Because I remember I had a similar question to uh, Chief Trevor McCaude with Doig yeah. River, and he said, oh, yeah, they might leave. They'll come back. The Montney play is one of the richest in the world. Yeah, right. They'll come back. Yeah. So is there any fear for the future? Or do you think, you know, they will, we'll get there? Yeah, I really do mm. feel like we'll, we'll, we will get there. And, and you know, it's just a matter of uh, all of us understanding mm -hmm. each other. Understanding each other's world. I'll go back to that again. Cultural yep. safety. Yep. <laughs> understanding each other's worldviews. And finding that we're not we're not enemies. We're actually friends because mm -hmm. we we're, we're here. We've been here this long together. Soto's were in. We came here, mm -hmm. but we've been here this long, and and we've been able to live side by side with the Sekaitene people and the Daneza and the Cree and the Haudenosaunee people from back east who are here, mm -hmm. you know, and and the Slavey up north and etc. Eh? You know, so we've been able to do that, and with all the other towns and all that stuff, you know, like. We, we, without realizing, we have done it. It's just now we have to fine-tune it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Little tweaks. Yeah. Well, not little. There are some major yeah, tweaks yeah, in there, yeah. too. But tweaks, you know, like you're saying, yeah, been here for decades, centuries. You yeah. know what I mean? It's just coming yeah. together. Um, well, I had a wonderful time chatting with you, Stuart. There's, this always happens. I literally just said this for my last episode, uh, you know. I definitely want to talk to you again. And like I said, well, I have a chat because I would love next June, maybe yeah. we yeah. do that episode around June 21st and yeah. let's, uh, let's talk and delve into the treaty. And I would love to hear your interpretation yeah. because, um, you've, you've studied it since a young age and, you know, I've looked over it and my, <laughs> my understanding of it is, is very minimal. And I would yeah. just love to, yeah. to get yeah. your take on it. Uh, my last question uh, every episode we ask this question yep. and I will say this, you don't have to say positive things about it. You, 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 your opinion on it can be any way. You don't have to say nice things. I can spit on the floor. You, if you want to, <laughs> what does reconciliation mean to you? Reconciliation mm -hmm. is just a bastardized word in the sense of government. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and even industry, because Remember I, a little while back I was talking about me being free, you being free? Mm -hmm. Until that happens, then we can have re reconciliation. Mm -hmm. That means you understand my worldview, you understand my treaty, you understand all these things, eh? and I understand you. And then we can move towards reconciliation, you know? Just like when they do um, acknowledgments of the traditional ter territory of so-and-so, yeah. wherever you are in Canada, right? Yeah. I, I, I say it falls short. Oh, okay. I kind of get insulted by it in a sense. Okay. And why it is is that 
you, you acknowledge this territory, mm-hmm. you know, say Danizar or yeah. whatever. I have at the beginning of this I, podcast, I, we I, have I, it for most of Akwesasne and the East or whatever. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I said, you acknowledge that you're on their territory? I said, but you, you, you stop there and then you go on with your life, your mm-hmm. meeting. Okay. I said, I tell people, acknowledge it, but acknowledge with the sort comings that we still have to deal with. Yeah. Even though this is the da da da, we still have a long way as Canadians to reconcile and and bring back a true relationship based on a power balance da 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 whatever right yeah something yeah. you know but don't say you know and then and then so it's as if like and I I've heard this so many times there's and that's why I said this you know say what you want about yeah. the reconciliation because I've heard you know people saying very positive things about it yeah. and other people being like, no, it's just a buzzword yeah. is where's the action, you know? And I, I think it's too, it's, it's said so much that the meaning and passion and original thought behind it is lost. And I think part of it is because the over usage of it yeah. mainly by the government yeah. in my opinion. So, so even quickly mm-hmm. when we, when we did with, uh, PRRD, yeah. that, that, that word came on the table. And I explained to them why it shouldn't be on their uh, graphic illustration. I said, what you should do is actually walk towards it first and build it without saying that word with the indigenous folks in the area. Mm. Build that relationship first that's based on a power-balanced approach and your understanding of the world, indigenous worldview, their understanding of the local government worldview. Let, let reconciliation evolve without having to say we believe in reconciliation mm-hmm. what is reconciliation you know you're, you're not there mm-hmm. so you don't think any of us are there yet no. right we still have a lot of work to yeah, do yeah yeah, yeah 100% yeah well, on that note, thank you so much, Stuart. Again, love chatting with you. <laughs> Wish we had multiple hours to have this conversation. <laughs> but I promise we'll, we'll align yeah, something sure. to have you on again. Yeah. Thanks, Stuart. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I will remind you, make sure you subscribe to Before the Peace using your favorite podcast app or at energeticcity.ca backslash podcasts if you haven't. Also, if you have any guests or program ideas, please email us at beforethepeace at moosefm.ca or at energeticcity.ca. Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.